afternoon's sermon comes from our reading in Matthew 13 at verse 31 through 33. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. After the preaching, we'll sing in response with Psalm 47, 1, 2, and 3, another song of praise of the king and his rule in the kingdom. The song of praise to the king ruling in his kingdom. Psalm 47 Clap your hands and shout, let your praise ring out, people far and near, God most high revere. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, do you ever wonder if what you do as a Christian makes any difference? You volunteer at church or school, you try to influence those around you at work by living a moral Christian life. You do what you can to advance the cause of Christ's church and kingdom. You try not to be too shy to speak about the gospel, but it seems to be futile. Your co-workers continue to live immoral lives. Your fellow students at university think that your sexually chaste lifestyle is cute. Teens, at least in my congregation, are confronted with disbelief when they tell their co-workers at McDonald's or Tim Hortons that they will save their virginity for marriage. Over the years, the Christian character of our society is being more and more eroded away. Our Christian schools are even considered a threat to the peace of our society because we teach our children to be different from the world. Sometimes it doesn't seem that he who is Lord of the church and king in the kingdom is using my small efforts to make any difference. ARPA and We Need a Law Project seem to be ignored, scoffed at, and ridiculed. The church's testimony about the sacredness of life from conception to natural death isn't gaining traction in the world. What's the point of making, trying to make a difference anyway? Isn't this a losing cause? Why don't we just do like, like a turtle and just pull in our arms and legs and pull our collar up over our head and just ignore the world and just quietly live in our own little corner and say, I give up, we give up. Jesus Christ might rule over all things at the end, but in the meantime, it looks like he is losing, and we get discouraged. Well, these two parables of the Lord Jesus should encourage us today. Two very short parables, but very meaningful for God's people. So a theme that I've prepared for our sermon this afternoon your Lord Jesus assures us that his kingdom and rule will most certainly advance both boldly and secretly. 
It's like a mustard seed, and it's like leaven. Now, the Lord Jesus, in the Gospels, as you read through them, spoke of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven very often. More than 100 times in the Gospels, we hear the Lord Jesus speak of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's a central theme of his teaching. And many of the parables, we have seven in this chapter, many of the parables are what the kingdom looks like. And our text today then is about the kingdom, about the rule of the king. There was an expectation, I think we, if you were here this morning, we heard a little bit about that. There's an expectation among the people of his day that God would reestablish David's kingdom. And some were expecting God to do that by the hand of Jesus of Nazareth. You could turn to Luke 19. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was nearing Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Or we hear in the Gospels things like this. He sent out his disciples saying, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. When he cast out demons, Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near you. But the kingdom the people expected was one which would get rid of the hated occupiers and establish, reestablish the theocratic kingdom, driving out the hated Herodians, the Romans, and the corrupt temple rulers. But Jesus says, no, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is very different from your earthly expectations. What could I compare it to, he says. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden, and the seed grew into a great plant like a tree, and birds perched in its branches. And we sort of go, hmm. That doesn't seem very significant. But what would the first hearers have heard? That's a, an essential question, especially of, of parable interpretation. What would the first hearers have heard Jesus say? They would have thought if a prophet were to compare the kingdom to a plant, you would expect him to compare it to a tree. Perhaps a tree like the mighty cedar of Lebanon. Think only of Nebuchadnezzar's dream about his own kingdom in Daniel 4 as he describes it to Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar says to Daniel, these are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were fruitful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, wild animals found shelter. Birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. Or perhaps the first hearer would have thought of Ezekiel 17, where the prophet speaks of the kingdom of Israel. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it 
it will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it and they will find shade, find shelter in the shade of its branches. In another place in the Old Testament, Ezekiel compares the Assyrian Empire to a cedar of Lebanon that flourished and grew and the birds nested in its branches. And wild animals gave birth in its shade and nations lived in its shade. So obviously the Lord Jesus is thinking about these passages as he tells his parable because he knew his Bible really, really well. And the people did too. The kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Babylon and Assyria all compared to mighty trees. And isn't the kingdom of God greater than those? And so, as the Lord Jesus often does, he catches his hearers, his listeners off guard. The kingdom isn't like a mighty, glorious, tall cedar tree. It's like a noxious weed. It's like a noxious weed. For the mustard plant is a most bothersome plant in Palestine. Who would plant a weed in his field? This is absurd. Jesus compares his kingdom to a weed an invasive one at that. In every continent of the world, except for Antarctica, the mustard plant is a most bothersome weed. His hearers would have been shocked. They would have been shocked. Maybe they would have laughed at the comparison. How can this be? Now, we might say, I don't know how many farmers there are here, And we might say as city folk, that's not so important. The real point here is that the seed is small and quickly becomes a large shrub, even as big as a tree that birds can perch on. So the kingdom of God starts small and ends up big. Some Bible study notes will have that point. But there's much more here. In the Old Testament, Moses' law would forbid, forbade the planting of a mustard seed in your field. And we have to understand this to be not just the field, but this is a garden plot. If you read Luke 13 in the parallel passage, a man planted the seed in his garden. Now, if you turn with me to Leviticus 19 for a moment. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book of the Bible. Page uh, 98. At verse 19, Leviticus 19 at 19, Moses' law, God speaks, you shall keep my statutes, you shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind, you shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. Or we can turn to Deuteronomy 22. Deuteronomy 22 at 9. Page 164. Deuteronomy 22 at 9. You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest the whole yield be forfeited or become corrupted. 
the crop that you have sown and the yield of the vineyard, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together. So the law says no mixing of fabric, no plowing with two kinds of animals, no seeding of two kinds of seed together. And this is a law of holiness. If they did this, they would defile their fields, their crops, their animals, and ultimately themselves. The laws of separation were about cleanliness and purity. But what do they mean? What was the point? Well, the people were to be constantly aware that they were not to be assimilated into the surrounding nations. They were a separated people. Separation was necessary to remain undefiled, to be clean and remain clean. And the Pharisees of Jesus' day, their name means something like separatists, were experts at separation. Keep yourself apart from everything that's unclean. The body of the dead, a person with a skin disease, Gentiles, common sinners, And this was accented by the laws of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, no mixing. So the Pharisees would have planted their gardens meticulously, careful not to mix the plants. The garden must be undefiled. But then the Pharisees were teaching the law of Moses not as a lesson in keeping oneself from being assimilated by the nations around them, but rather as a thing in itself. By keeping these separation laws, I will keep myself holy. But the separation laws were there to teach them that they were a separate and chosen people. Now, what would happen if you planted a mustard seed in your garden? The people listening to Jesus knew what would happen. It would grow rapidly into a large bush, and it would quickly be shedding its seeds and pods everywhere in among their other plants, among their herbs, their nice neat rows of mint and dill, amid the vegetables and the onions and the garlic and the cucumber, the picture the Lord gives us is one of absurdity. Who would do that anyways? The mustard seed grows wild and you need to fight it off. A couple years ago, the agricultural page of the Ontario Department of Agriculture gave the mustard seed the prominence of weed of the week. Weed of the week. Now I know here people probably don't go to the Carolinas on spring break, but where I go, people go down to the Carolinas all the time on spring break or to Florida. And there's this invasive species called the kudzu plant. It's an invasive species of vine that comes from Japan and it covers everything in the Carolinas. It kills trees, it falls, follows power lines, it's everywhere. So the kingdom of God is like a man who planted the kudzu vine in his vineyard. Or maybe here in Edmonton, the kingdom of God is like a man who started planting dandelions in his front lawn or the American thistle in his backyard. It's absurd. 
And the Lord Jesus knows nature. He knows farming. He understands how this works. We read the other parables around this one. The Lord Jesus knows about it. And he knows that the mustard seed, the mustard weed, has many seeds. And those seeds attract birds, he says. And who would do that? Who is going to plant something in his garden that attracts birds? We do things to get rid of birds. We put scarecrows in our gardens to get rid of the birds. It's crazy. But the birds in Jesus' parable, like the birds in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, in Ezekiel's vision, find safety, protection, and food. Now, where I live in Burlington, we have some mulberry trees in our hanging over our back fence. And mulberry trees, they, they grow up to be about 40 feet tall and they have spreading branches and they have berries like raspberries sort of that fall off the tree for three or four months of the, into the spring and summer. In the height of summer, all kinds of birds come into my backyard and squirrels and chipmunks and raccoons and they enjoy the berries. And we enjoy the wildlife, but they make a terrible mess. A terrible mess. No one in Burlington would purposely plant a mulberry tree in his backyard. Jesus' parable would be like saying a man planted a mulberry tree beside his swimming pool to give his patio some nice shade. Thus Jesus' parable says the kingdom of God, his way in the world, is like a man who planted an unruly, noxious weed in the neatly ordered, purposely planted, religious, holy garden. And that weed is going to make a mess of phony religiosity. That's God's rule. That's what the kingdom looks like. Not a bunch of people following the rules, but a community that brings God's word into the world of men. And the birds, as Daniel interpreted the dream, were the nations of the distant parts of the earth. All nations will come under the kingdom and the rule of God. The Lord says, my kingdom doesn't look like an earthly kingdom. It's not a cedar of Lebanon, tall, straight, and majestic. We would say, it's not like a Douglas fir tree. It's not neat and tidy. It doesn't follow the rules. The kingdom of heaven doesn't follow the rules. And here, let me show you what I mean. Think about how the Pharisees complain about Jesus. He doesn't follow the rules. He eats with sinners, sits with tax collectors, loves the outcast, touches the leper, makes a hated Samaritan the hero of a parable, disregards taboos, speaks in public to a Samaritan woman to the amazement of his own disciples. And not only that, to a woman who's shacked up with her boyfriend. Doesn't condemn a woman caught in adultery. I always wondered why they didn't bring the man, but that's another matter. The people around Jesus expected a kingdom according to their legalistic interpretation of the scripture. Follow the rules and regulations and laws and God will be happy with you. The Lord, however, on the other hand, presents a kingdom of God that breaks through all their taboos, flouts their traditions, and tramples down their barriers. He travels with women, allows the ceremonially unclean to touch him. He welcomes 
children, invites himself into a tax collector's house for dinner, allows himself to be anointed with perfume by a prostitute. And the Simon, the host of that dinner, thought if Jesus were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. And we might add, and we know how she earned the money to pay for it. But Jesus breaks down barriers and welcomes those who seek forgiveness, offers, his, offers bread and wine as his body and blood, even to Judas, whom he knew was going to betray him. This parable is subversive. It's surprising and it's shocking. It's not just about the kingdom of God having a small beginning and a great ending. Then he might have said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who planted an acorn and it grew into a giant oak tree. A forester planted a seedling and it grew into a Douglas fir. No, a man planted a small insignificant seed and it grew into a noxious weed that spread its seeds all over the nicely ordered world of the legalists and the separatists and attracted all the birds that the religious people have been shooing away. And the kingdom of God is like a lump of leaven, which a woman kneaded into some flour until it leavened the whole lot. So what's that about? Well, the Lord Jesus' second parable pictures a woman making bread. She takes leaven and kneads it into the dough. Now, leaven is just fermenting dough. That's how you make sourdough bread. In the ancient world, when they made bread, they would make the dough rise by kneading into the lump of the dough a small piece of yesterday's fermenting dough that hadn't made it to the oven. And that dough would have been leavened by a piece of fermenting dough from the day before. Just a bit, a little bit of sourdough kneaded through the whole new batch would be enough for it to spread its fermenting quality to the whole new batch. And as it was mixed with sugar and water, it would cause the dough to rise. It does that because we know today that when given moisture, warmth, and sugar to feed on, the leaven ferments and produces carbon dioxide throughout the dough, causing it to rise. So the woman takes some leaven and mixes it in the dough. Now we need to know something, that she has a very, very large batch of flour. In Greek it says three satas, three measures. We might think, you know, three cups of flour, three measuring cups of flour. Uh, the new Niv translation helps us here by translating a large amount. But it's an immense amount for a woman to be kneading by hand. This is about 60 pounds of flour, 30 kilos, 25 kilos of flour. Enough for 60 large loaves of bread. And she hid the leaven in it. At first, the leaven isn't obvious. It's hidden. You start dough without leaven. You mix your water and your flour and your sugar and you mix that up, and then you take your little lump of leaven, no more than a handful, and you begin to knead it into the dough. And as that dough gets folded over and over and squeezed and pulled and rolled and punched, the leaven permeates the whole batch. But the dough doesn't look any different than it did when you started. The leaven is hidden. So what's Jesus' point here? 
Well, first of all, what would the first hearers have heard? Well, again, they would have been shocked. Not because of the incredibly and impossibly large match of dough the woman was working with. It would weigh upwards of 60 kilos. But with the comparison of the kingdom of God to leaven. Why? Well, first of all, yeast or leaven is something that usually associated with that which is unclean. Nearly every instance in the Bible, 40 times leaven is mentioned in the Bible, it represents sin and evil. The people of Israel were not to eat leavened bread at the Passover and for the next week. They were to purge their homes of leavened bread and of leaven and to burn it. Because leaven is a good picture of sin. Just a little bit of old fermenting dough is enough to make the new batch rise. As the Apostle Paul would write later in Galatians 5 verse 9, a little leaven works through the whole batch of dough. And what he's speaking about is the infiltration of legalism into the church. Just a little bit of thinking, Paul says, I need to make God love me by keeping his commandments and obeying his rules. Just a little bit of that kind of thinking permeates, infiltrates, and spoils the whole of the gospel and turns it sour. Jesus compares the false teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees to leaven in Matthew 16. He warns the disciples of the leaven of Herod, who was a wicked and immoral man. Paul compares the unrepentant and undisciplined sinner in the church as leaven. He writes in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old leaven so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the leavened bread of sincerity and truth. The lesson there is just a little bit of unrepentant sin in our lives will permeate everything we do. Just a little bit of tolerated blatant sin in the church will permeate the whole community. That's why leaven is such a great symbol for sin. Just a little bit of tolerated sin will permeate your whole life and turn it sour. Just a wee bit of tolerated sin will infiltrate the whole church and turn it sour. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. And then I think he's got our attention. And then Jesus turns the whole picture upside down, comparing the kingdom of heaven to that which the people would have pictured as a symbol of sin and evil shocks us. But then his comparison is not to sin, but to the quiet, effective working of just a little bit to the whole bunch. And the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like that. When God's people quietly do good works, where they speak with graciousness to their neighbors, where they testify of God's goodness in their lives, when they're not ashamed to live chaste, holy lives in a degenerate world, 
when they say no to drugs or pornography, when you live your life differently from your colleagues at work, from your fellow students at university, from your next door neighbor, and they notice, then the leaven of the gospel is at work. The leaven of the kingdom is at work. We are to persist, even though it seems that our little bit of leaven could never change very much. But the kingdom of God is near. Now, we are not like the disciples. We've not been sent out into the world to heal the sick and cast out demons and so declare that the kingdom of God is near. But when we live our lives under the rule of the king, under the rule of King Jesus, when we do that in the midst of our community, then we can say to our neighbors and to our co-workers and our fellow students when they notice, then you can say, the kingdom of God is near. When young people of the church tell their friends that chastity and sexual purity matters, then they can say, the kingdom of God is here. When you volunteer in your community, in your city or in your town, then you can say the kingdom of God is near. For bit by bit, bit by bit, Christ's rule will permeate and infiltrate and ultimately dominate the whole of creation, all 60 pounds of flour. So the parable of the mustard seed encourages us to step out of rules religion and bring the gospel of the kingdom into the city and the world. But realize that the advance of the kingdom and the growth of the church is not captured in a nice, neat program. Follow some rules. No, it's messy. And it's going to tear down walls. It's going to attract those whom we might not normally think that we should let in. It's not going to look majestic or stately like an oak tree or a Douglas fir. It's going to be scruffy like a weedy, woody shrub, but it will spread. And the parable of the leaven encourages us to realize that even the smallest deeds done for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus spreads the leaven of the kingdom to the four corners of the world. A cup of cold water, a visit to prison, a card to the sick, a meal for the grieving, a hug for the mourning, hospitality for the stranger. These are not earth-shaking deeds. But just like a little bit of leaven will, introduce, will influence the enormous batch, so also be assured by this parable that your small deed and your quiet word and your humble action can and will and does bring about the kingdom of God and the rule of King Jesus. So don't be discouraged. Get rid of rules religion and realize that the advance of the kingdom often seems rather messy. But don't despise the day of small beginnings. But with lifted heads and with a spring in your steps, seek to serve the Lord even in the smallest things of life. And he then will bring about his rule, will advance his kingdom, and he will build up his church and he shall reign forever and ever. So when you are discouraged that the kingdom of God and the church seem to be messy or that your Christian life and witness mean nothing, then remember the lesson of these two things about the mustard seed and the little lump of leaven. Amen.